Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the show of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment for the voiceless traveler. I am your co-host, Michael Gordon Bennett, and I am joined as always by the man from Barbados via the Big Apple, my co-host, Dave Cumberbatch. Dave, I am looking forward to that tropical paradise called Costa Rica today. I'm certainly looking forward to that as well, Michael. Uh, you, you know there are many communities that hear very little about tourism and travel to Central and South America. Um, how lucky we are to have our guests to share those personal stories about travel to that region. You know, C- Costa Rica is a hidden gem. And I don't, I don't mean to say hidden in the standpoint that nobody really knows about it, but it, it really is. It's uh, the, the people are friendly, having been there myself, uh, the uh, part of, now we were on the West Coast uh, of Costa Rica, so I hadn't had a chance to go around the rest of the country yet. But it's one of those Central American gems, like its neighbor to the South Panama, that people should really take the time to go investigate. Yeah, I've never been to that region. Um, I've never been there. So I'm really looking forward to having sort of what we call a virtual tour with our <laughs> guest today. She was born in Costa Rica and and immigrated to, to the United States, uh, specifically um, Los Angeles. So she has got to have a perspective in terms of life there as opposed to life here in a um, metropolitan city like LA. Yeah, I mean, I've known her for, gosh, over a decade now. And, uh, you know, we, we met in the concrete jungle that is Los Angeles, a place that's near and dear to my heart. I love the city. And uh, but she always talked so fondly of Costa Rica. I mean, every time we spoke, it was Costa Rica this, Costa Rica that. And uh, I'm, I'm glad we got her on the show. Before we get started with today's episode, we would like to invite all the listeners out there to send us their travel stories. Uh, you'll hear one travel story today from our guest who uh, submitted her application to us via email at contact at tripcast360.com. That's contact at tripcast360.com. We would like to hear from you. We want to hear your travel stories, where you've been, h- how you like them, uh, the do's and don'ts. We want to hear it all. And hopefully one day you will be on our show just like our guest is today. So again, send us those travel stories to contact at tripcast360.com. We also would like you to follow us on social media, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. And we are on, this podcast is on pretty much every single podcast platform you can think of from uh, iTunes to Google to uh, Spotify to iHeartRadio. We're on all of them. So please listen to us. Please subscribe. Have your friends subscribe to us and follow us. And lastly, we would also like to point your attention to our website, tripcast360.com, where you will see a synopsis of each and every episode that airs. You can actually listen to us on our website at tripcast360.com. And uh, if you want to find the episodes, just uh, click on the episodes tab in the menu bar at the top of the page, and you will find each episode we've produced to date. And that list will obviously continue to grow as we uh, produce our weekly podcast. And lastly, We would like you to subscribe to our newsletter. We're going to introduce a newsletter in a couple of weeks that'll have a lot of really interesting information, some of which you may not even hear on this podcast, things like travel deals and and hot destinations and places to go, some entertainment news. So please subscribe to our newsletter at tripcast360.com. You can find the subscribe link uh, on our homepage down toward the bottom. And uh, so please join us. Without further ado, let's, let's, let's get her in here, my friend. 
Our guest is an experienced writer, business consultant, and educational entrepreneur with a passion for exploring the world. She was born in Costa Rica, but raised in Los Angeles. Rebecca comes from a multicultural family and has traveled the world from a young age. She has an appreciation and an affinity for cultural exploration. She holds a BA in World Arts and Culture from UCLA and a Master's in Management from the Annenberg School of Business at USC. Oops, let me try that again. It's not the Annenberg School of Business, just the Annenberg School at USC in Southern California. Rebecca, welcome, welcome, welcome. From where are you at again? I'm in Costa Rica. Hi, Michael. Hey, David. It is hot. It is in the 90s, and it's, I can't even tell you what percent humidity, about a thousand percent humidity. <laughs> it's hot, and it is beautiful, but um, very, very hot. Maybe yeah. Michael should tell you what the temperature is like in Vegas. Uh, at, one, at one o'clock in the afternoon, it is 104 degrees outside. <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh, we today. You got and- me beat. Yeah, today and tomorrow we're going to set a record for high temperature. Oh my goodness! So the planet is doing their thing right it, now. Yeah. It is. Uh, let's let's hope it burns off COVID. <clears throat> that was a joke. Anyway, um, <laughs> I wanted to start off your travel experience. Um, what got you to Costa Rica in the first place? Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I want you to tell the story. You were actually going to take you and your kids and hit the road for a year and travel the world. First of all, what got yes, you? Th- what got you thinking that way? What What was the reason behind you doing that? And then tell us about some of the places you plan to visit. Well, um, I'll start by saying I am actually Costa Rican. I'm a dual citizen between the U.S. and Costa Rica, so I am here because this is my second home. Um, but I. At the end of last year, 2019, I thought, you know, enough is enough. I'd, I'd been having the urge to just get out of Dodge for probably about three years. Um, I love Los Angeles. It is a wonderful city, and I was raised there, but I would kind of reached my climax and realized that I was ready for a different experience. Um, also having two middle-aged kids, uh, young kids, I was ready to have a little bit more space, a little less urban craziness, and um, I am an urban gardener, and I am an explorer, and I've lived in other places, so I, you know, have the blessing and the curse of knowing that there's another way, there's another option, and not feeling tied to the life that I had built in Los Angeles. Tell us where you were going. You had an entire itinerary laid out. I know we briefly discussed it before you left, but I didn't know all the details. Where were you planning on going? Well, I was going to spend the majority of the year in Central and South America. So we left at the end of December and spent the first two months in Costa Rica. Um, The month of March, I spent mostly in Mexico. And I was scouting programs, um, I was scouting basically activities for a tour that I was curating for Dia de los Muertos, which was happening in October in Oaxaca. And it was my first time in Oaxaca. I was with some dear friends that are from there. And there's nothing like learning about a place, you know, from 
from local. Uh, we had the best time and I ate the best food and I'm in love, absolutely in love with Mexico. So I spent the month of March in Mexico and then the plan was to come back to Costa Rica for um, April through June because uh, I was hosting a three-week summer camp in Guanacaste, which is on the Pacific coast of Costa Rica in July and um, typically have about maybe 150 to 200 people come down from the States from all over the United States to participate in this cross-cultural activity that we do there in partnership with the school in Guanacaste. And clearly that is not going to happen this summer um, for all of the reasons. But after that, we were then going to make our way down to Mexico for the early fall, spend some time between Oaxaca and Mexico City. Um, I've spent several weeks with my kids in Mexico City before, and we loved it. And then um, go down to South America and lead a tour in Peru. And from there, I was hoping to jump off and maybe visit two or three other countries. So the plan was to basically be between the United States, Central America, and South America from January of 2020 to about November, come back and spend Christmas with the family in Costa Rica, and then... um, Possibly, actually, I forgot we were supposed to go to Spain and Morocco in September for my 40th. So all of my friends have met 40 in quarantine so far, <laughs> which is not the way to bring in a decade. But um, yeah, all, all the plans have changed. And Rebecca, I find that extremely interesting. What made you choose Central and South America? Um, The work that I've been doing for the last decade has really been in bilingual education. I um, co-founded a bilingual preschool, and then I'm also founding parent of a bilingual elementary school. And a lot of the clients that I've served over the last, uh, you know, seven years really want these immersive experiences for their kids. So I've generally concentrated our travel also for my own children who I'm raising bilingually as well. I've concentrated the majority of our travel in Spanish speaking countries so that they can have an immersive experience and strengthen their language skills. So that's primarily the reason why um, we were going to be spending the first part of our world schooling adventure here. Um, That's not to say that the next year couldn't, couldn't be a totally different uh, series of, of countries, but that's where we're going to start. You had a very interesting experience with at the start of your journey because your kids were in the United States visiting with their father and you had to make some uh, fast, rapid changing plans to go and get them because of COVID. Tell us a little bit about that. I, I, I found that fascinating when you mentioned what happened to you. Well, it's really interesting because when we left Costa Rica on March 5th, like COVID wasn't a thing down here. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll say that even where we are right now, which is in the Talamanca region on the Caribbean coast, there's been like two, three cases and most of them are coming from Panama. Um, so it's still not a thing, um, in our kind of day-to-day experience. But when we left Costa Rica, COVID was not even in the conversation. Uh, I spent a glorious three weeks in Mexico and on the 20th, I got uh, tipped off that countries might be starting to shut down borders. And that day 
Costa Rica announced that they were going to be shutting their borders on the 22nd of March. So this is on the 20th and I'm in Mexico City and I still had a whole entire week of itinerary planned um, in Mexico City. And I made a snap decision to change course, fly back to Los Angeles because my children who were visiting their father in, in, in L.A. and are not Costa Rican citizens were supposed to fly. I had to make a, a last minute quick change um and i flew from mexico city up to los angeles the same day on march 3rd on march 20th two days before costa rica closed their borders and i'm glad i did or else they would have i mean they wouldn't have been stranded they have a home there and they're fine but um it definitely wasn't in our plan for them to spend more than a few weeks there so um i went up we got stuck there for about a month and um then costa rica began repatriating folks and chartered, uh, organized, the consulate organized charter flights for us to return to Costa Rica. And I took advantage of that because um, I, I already kind of intuitively knew that it would be probably a little bit lighter anxiety down here, but also that um, it's, it's almost social distancing at its finest. You know, our neighbor, we're on a half an acre Nobody needs to touch us next door um, where where it's, it really is. And, you know, it's a nice place to hunker down and let the storm blow, blow over us. What's life there uh, during this period of, of COVID? I mean, I would imagine you have to go shop. At some point, you meet large, large uh, crowds of folks. What's day to day life like in Costa Rica during this period? Well, you know, it's actually pretty chill. So Costa Rica only has about 500 um, inhabitants, and then they get about 3 million tourists or visitors a year. So I'll say where we are, which is on the coast, in the coastal area, it, it's particularly touristful um, most times of the year, and it's actually been really lovely because you can see the local people right now anybody who's here either lives here even if they're a foreigner they live here or they have they have extended stays in the country and it's very relaxed um costa rica has taken pretty stringent measures about you know in addition to closing the border fairly rapidly they instituted a curfew and there are driving restrictions based on your license plate. So like twice a week, we can't leave the house. We can't drive or we'll get fined. The beaches are closed. They've opened them just this last week from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. in the morning. And you'd be surprised. It sounds crazy. Like who's getting up at 5 in the morning to go out to the ocean? But we are. We are going out to the ocean at 5 a.m. Um, it gets light here at 5. So and it's. It's beautiful, and there are a lot of you see a lot of a lot of people out there, families, surfers, um, just taking advantage of being outside and being in nature. And then the cool thing here is that, like like I said, the properties tend to be pretty large, kind of farms. At least for the people that we know, like we are able to go up and visit our friend's farm and go swimming in their river and not come into contact with anybody. So it really is social distancing at its finest. The grocery stores haven't been overrun. Um, my experience in Los Angeles was so different because you couldn't even you couldn't even buy rice. Like I think for three weeks I couldn't buy rice. I had to go steal a bag from a friend that had hoarded it <laughs> from the Trader Joe's. You know? um, whereas here everything is plentiful on the shelves. 
We, you know, we don't have to scrap for anything. I think the other difference and one of the really like big things that I appreciate about being here right now is that the, the barter network is so much more prevalent, right? Like you got a neighbor that's got mangoes. We got the guy down the road that gets our fish. So he, you know, we hit him a text and he goes, look, I am going out this morning. And he comes back with four marlin fresh, you know, straight out the, the ocean. So it's been really lovely because I think it's also, even though we're not in a panic mode here, um, neighbors drop off banana bread every two days. You know, people are just chilling. So folks are making homemade yogurt. Um, everybody's been planting. We, we planted an entire garden. We've got probably 20 different crops growing in our garden. You, you certainly don't miss the hustle and bustle of LA. I certainly do not miss Los Angeles right this moment. No, I do not. Um, tell you mentioned earlier that you were in the Talamanca region of Costa Rica. Tell everybody where that is, what it's like to be there. Um, and just kind of set the scene for it. I know where it is, but I want you to tell it. All right. Well, um, Costa Rica, Caribbean side on the Atlantic coast. And um, there's a port town, major port town, Puerto Limon, which is probably the, the biggest dot on the map on our side. And if you go straight down from there, about 30 minutes, you'll hit a series of coastal towns. Um, Cahuita is one of the most popular because it has a national park and it has a beautiful walkway that you can walk all the way out to a point and there's a lovely beach and on the walk you can see birds and monkeys and sloths and I've seen snakes, crabs, um, followed by Puerto Viejo, which is kind of the most bustling area around here. Lots of little towns and lots of little shops, lots of restaurants hotels and then it goes down to Manzanillo National Park so we're on the Caribbean coast um, we got black sand beaches we got white sand beaches we have beautiful coral reefs um, that you can go diving and fishing in uh, I love going up into the Talamanca Mountains. so the Talamanca corridor is there's a big mountain range that runs along the coast and um, mostly indigenous reservation. And you can explore the indigenous culture here in Costa Rica. We often go up there and bathe in the river, go to the waterfall, do hike. Um, I've spent time up there learning about kind of rainforest hardwoods from local young cats that grew up in the mountains. It's pretty cool. And um, there's actually really uh, a really nice kind of a nice group of people trying to bring more awareness to the local culture here. I think it's, it's, it's always been kind of a melange of cultures. It's always attracted um, a diversity of people. I think Costa Rica in, by nature has done that for at least the last 30 or 40 years. It's been a very welcoming place for international visitors, people from Europe, from South America, uh, the United States. Um, but the, the historically on this side, it's been the indigenous population and there's an Afro-Caribbean population, mostly Jamaican descendants. And um, that has changed a lot over the last maybe 20 years. You see the, the black population here dwindling a bit and uh, a bunch of Italians 
a bunch of Germans. Wow. Yeah. So you can get really good pizza here now. Really good pizza. But um, I've been working with some folks here to try and uncover some of these more historic stories from the last century, right? The families that have been here, especially the the black families that have been in the area cultivating cacao. It's typically been um, an agricultural zone where they've cultivated sugarcane, cacao, bananas, and the banana plantations took over. It really um, ruined the cacao crop, which was the main export that the, the, the Afro-descendant farmers in this area used to cultivate. So there's a group of folks now that are trying to kind of revive that, that knowledge, right? That knowledge of the indigenous cacaos that have been grown here for a long time, bringing back some species that were sick and, and have died off. A lot of kind of permaculture and sustainability conversation. Um, so this concept of grow your own is not new. It's something that they've been doing forever and now it's trendy it's hip it's in and so um i've been learning a lot from you know our wisdom keepers and you don't miss and and you don't miss la no sir you know we were having that conversation (laughs) as a family and i think we all agreed we missed in and out burgers um i personally miss you know having the the plethora of international food that we get there. I miss my authentic little Tokyo sushi. I miss going to little Ethiopia and getting injera. I miss driving 15 minutes and getting whatever I want. I miss going to get kimchi fresh from the Korean market. So we've been making it all. My kids made pizza two nights ago. I made sushi three nights ago. <laughs> no, I'm changing. No, I'm changing my mind. Can you, can you send your private jet to get there? <laughs> There's some good eating over here. I was reading something out of your bio that says you're working on something called community living that combines sustainable practices with experiential living. Describe what that is to me. Well, one of the the conversations I think that also inspired me to leave the U.S. and take that leap is that I've been having the same conversation on BC with a lot of folks, um, particularly young families. Um, folks that are struggling in the paradigm, in the context of urban life, having to work, 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 be in the rat race, be in that hamster wheel, not having time to be with their family, not having time to cook at meals at night, and um, just really feeling like there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way than this. I mean, I was in that as well, C-level job, working for a nonprofit, coming home at six. 30 p.m. picking my kids up from aftercare that you know I drop them off at 7 in the morning 7 30 in the morning and I don't pick them up till 6 30 at night so gotta cook so gotta do the, and then you gotta do the whole thing over the next day so um really just questioning like is there a better way to live and you know like I stated earlier in the call like having traveled for, for those that of us that have experienced life at other speeds you know that you have an option when I was in the thick of it in LA with the good job, doing the good work, I thought there's, there's no option, but there really, there really is. And um, part of what I've been wanting to kind of play with in a laboratory way is this, you know, study of how do we live in harmony with the planet? 
how do we not rape and pillage it, but, you know, cultivate a relationship where the planet gives, we receive, and we give back. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the healing power of nature and how being outside and being under the sun, the vitamin D, that, that tends to be the thing that, that you know, we all kind of lack in the urban context. Being able to cook and eat food that you know where it came from, you know, the fact that children think that the supermarket is where food is born is not acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> that the chicken wings that they ate somehow, you know, killed themselves, plucked themselves and ended up on a, on a tray at the Albertson um, <laughs> is not the way that it works. So part of it is kind of having a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle in also tapping into some of that ancient knowledge that our ancestors and our, our elders have had and used for so long, natural medicine, herbs, uh, ways of caring for ourselves. And then more importantly, de-stress, right? Like disconnecting from the anxiety, the stress, and the, the chaotic nature of the rat race so that we have a more work-life balance, so that there is time to play, so that exercise is not a, a task a chore or something that we don't have time for, but just the natural part of, of our day-to-day. And then how do you build that and co-create that with other people? So I'm not, not really attracted to the kind of hippy-dippy privileged, like, we're all going to live in a commune and love each other kind of vibe. But yeah, how do we all like work together? How do we, how do we take your mastery and your knowledge and combine it with my mastery and my knowledge so that we can make sure we're all, we're all fed, we're all healthy, our children are educated, we are, you know, abundant and having the resources that we need to live full and fruitful lives? And then how can we create an example of that to show others what's possible? Was this part of your original thought process when you decided that you would that you would go to Costa Rica? Uh, because pe- people love people love traveling, and there are many reasons for doing so. Uh, people love challenging uh, challenges. They love learning. They want to expand their their per- perspective, getting in touch with yourself, appreciating life. Building and strengthening relationships, having an adventure, escaping, escaping from LA. All of the above. <laughs> uh, relaxing and celebrating. I mean, it to me, it sounds like you have are creating a lifestyle. I heard two things in your answer: live to work instead of work to live, <laughs> and um, getting back in touch with. Um, I don't want to say nature because that's kind of cliche-ish, but in a way it is. You're kind of getting back in touch with with man's roots, if you will, and and and, and looking at sustainable everything. Because I remember when I was in Costa Rica, everything I saw was sustainable something. Yeah. I mean, it, they, as a country, definitely industry leader and has done some exemplary work around making this not, just a cliche or one of the things that we do, but really a part of the fabric of the brand of the country. So like I said, it's, it's kind of a no brainer. And I think David, to your original question, which was like, 
was this a part of my plan before I came? I think this has always been a part of my plan, probably my five-year plan, but I hadn't intended to do this right now. I thought, oh, we'll travel the world for the next two to three years. We'll world school. We'll do what we do. And, you know, we've done this. We actually have been like summer world schooling for the last five years. So I made a kind of vow to myself that the only way I was going to make it in the rat race in LA year round was that if I left the country for at least a month or two every year. So I have backpacked through Europe with my children for five weeks. We've spent weeks, we spent three weeks in Mexico. We spent five weeks down here in Costa Rica, but we, we've gone to Cuba. Um, we have, we make a point of leaving every year and every year that I leave, I go, why do I come back to this place? Like I have the same feeling every time. And every time I leave Costa Rica, I leave here going, why do I leave this place? <laughs> it's so beautiful. Why do I leave? Um, so I think, you know, because this is my second home, I think that I always had it in the back of my head that I would build something like this in the future. But the plan was to not start until for two or three years to really use this time to move about the cabin and then hunker down. Well, the universe said, no, hunker down now, build it. And then maybe later we'll let you move around the cabin. So <laughs> something is crossed. Huh? <laughs> um, uh, you mentioned earlier that your original plans were to go to two places that are near and dear to my heart, Morocco and Spain. I spent three years mm-hmm. of my childhood in Spain, and it was the, probably the single best experience of my life. The only reason I got to Spain in the first place is in 1960-whatever, my dad was stationed in Morocco. They closed the military air base in Morocco, and they gave him a choice. You can either go spend a long tour overseas, which in military parlance means at least two years with your family, or uh, you can finish out your last three or four months someplace else and we'll just ship you home. My dad opted to bring the family to Spain. And we lived in Madrid. We did not live on the military base. All of my neighbors were Spanish. And it was the single best experience of my life. Uh, You know, learning a language at age five and being able to just walk around the streets of Madrid, no crime. Uh, I would get lost. I was the only one out. I was the only kid out in the street during siesta. And all the businesses were closed. I know I got lost a million times. And the neighbors always pointed me back to my house. We lived in a 10-story building. I lived on the second floor, and they always figured out a way to get me back home. I I mentioned Morocco and Spain and my experiences. Are you eventually going to pick up and hit the road again to finish your year around the world tour, or you just kind of alter those plans for for 2020 at least and then think about it later? Yeah, I mean, 2020 is officially canceled. All things in 2020 are just off. Unfortunately for us, um, but I think it's, it is opening up the opportunity to, like I said, launch kind of and in, in investigate and research this other project that I knew I would eventually want to do. So we're staying busy. I'm not mad at it. I do think that, um, I mean, I, I'm, I've always traveled extensively and I won't stop now. The minute that it's safe to, to move around and do what we want to do again, I'll be doing that. Um, 
And I hope to be able to continue to inspire other folks to do that as well. Uh, I, we did, we spent some time in Spain a few years ago, and that was wonderful. Uh, mostly in Granada, then did a whole train trip through the south of France and visited friends in Italy. Morocco, I've never been to. And so that's why I said, okay, I'm going to, I've always seen it. Like from, from Gibraltar, you can like see it. You're like, it's right there. Let me just get across the water. Um, so I, I still hope to get there soon. And I've only been to the continent of Africa once. And so I have a lot of exploring to do there. I have a lot of exploring to do in South America and in Asia as well. So, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, things will, I hope they don't norm, I won't say normalize because I think if anything, the wonderful thing that is happening as a result of all of this is causing us to be face to face with a lot of systems that do not work. And hopefully we will be able to revamp the way that we interact with the world. And I'll even say for me being, you know, at home right now in my home country, and the experience of it not being overrun with tourists has really been so enjoyable. And I didn't really, as somebody who has been in the industry, <laughs> I feel like a little bit of a, of a traitor. I feel a little bit of a Judas saying it out loud, but the truth is this place, this is the beauty of the Caribbean. I mean, they'll tell you, well, the, the, the Caribbean side has always got a bad rap because number one is black people, black brown people, indigenous people. So I've had tour operators from the Central Valley and the Pacific literally tell me, oh, don't go there. It's not safe. So dangerous. They're going to they're gonna rob you at gunpoint. And to which I reply, who, my cousin? Like, who, who's going who's gonna to shank me with a knife? My my uncle, like, those are my people. And so I always make a point of bringing folks to this side so that you can see the beauty of it because it is not like the Pacific, completely commercialized, totally overrun. When I'm on that side of the coast, it doesn't even feel like Costa Rica anymore. It feels like little America. So, you know, there's a beauty in this place in the way that it has existed for a long time that I hope also when tourism does start to pick up that the local folks, the, the ties that we're making right now, the projects that we're working on, that they don't get overshadowed or overrun, you know, by the multitudes of people just trampling through to enjoy the natural beauty, but that we might be able to find a different way of inviting people into this space so that culturally it still feels like you feel the essence of the place. Rebecca, uh, picking up on where you left off about not having that many tourists and that uh, side of the country, uh, even across Costa Rica, I would imagine that, you know, there's not that much traffic on the road because people are self-isolating, etc. cetera. Uh, in a number of countries where they have closed the borders and they're self-isolating, you're beginning to see animals in areas that, that we never saw before, or at least in modern times. Um, we begin to see the impact that COVID, as bad as it is, and COVID, yes, it's ter terrible, terrible. Uh, what impact is it having on the environment there? What are you noticing there where you are? Oh, oh yeah, the animals are in heaven. 
<laughs> animals are I um they haven't happened necessarily here, but they there were wild cats on the beach down in the on the Pacific side a few weeks ago. Like cats that never come out, you know, from the from the mountains were on the beach, walking the beach. Um so I yeah, I mean I experienced that even in Los Angeles, though, the one month I was there, just the amount of wildlife and the beauty of the blooms and springtime was off the chain. So I don't know. I'm in the jungle. For me, life always feels wild out here. We're liable to get monkeys come through at any given moment, sloth. Um, we've got a toucan nest right in front of my front porch, so I get to listen to the can squawk. They do not sound pretty. They're gorgeous birds, but they're loud and they're rowdy. And that's every day. So um, I do feel like the planet is, is in a bit of a healing process right now and that the animals and the flora and the fauna are very grateful for a bit of a respite. Nice. Um, I'm going to, pardon me for asking the following question, but I have to ask. Um, because it's going to ruin your pristine uh, culture there. Um, but if somebody were traveling from the U.S. or any part of the world, how do they get to Limon in the area of Costa Rica that you're in? Don't come. It's dangerous. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All, anybody who trends with David or Michael is welcome to come visit me. <laughs> All right, you got a deal on um, that one. So, yeah, everybody else stay home. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and did I hear that you were, did I hear that you were sending a private jet for uh, the two of us? Oh yes, absolutely. As soon as the border is open, I'll send my personal jet for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, but it's um, it's it's pretty easy to get here. So if you'd fly into San Jose, SJO is the airport code. And um, there are a lot of different carriers that would typically fly in. Delta, United, Southwest, JetBlue. So from the East Coast to West Coast, it's pretty easy to get into Costa Rica. And the fares are fairly reasonable. This year were the cheapest fares I've ever seen, which were in the late 200s to about 280 round trip from Los Angeles. I have never seen that before. Um, so this year has been the cheapest I've ever seen. Airfare was about $280 round trip from Los Angeles, which I've never, ever seen it drop below 350 before. Um, typically low season, it'll be in the mid threes and high season up to five or six, $700 uh, of, of round trip flight. And then from there to get to this area, you would take about a four to five hour drive. You'd probably have to rent a car um, if you are kind of a savvy traveler and don't mind hopping on the bus, the bus is really easy. Uh, it costs $10 and you make one stop in Limong and then it keeps going down to the beaches. But it takes about four to five hours. You come through Braulio Carrillo National Park, which is beautiful, beautiful drive. And then um, from there, it's just flat straight to the beach. So. Nice. And then lots of reasonable and beautiful places to stay over here, too. Yeah, I actually was doing some research on that uh, in preparation. Uh, my girlfriend has been pestering me to come back to Costa Rica. We were there three years ago on the other other coast. 
And uh, I told her I would not make a decision about where I wanted to get a piece of property until I saw where you are. Um, because I, I think we're going to, you know, going back to your earlier point about just getting away from the hustle and bustle. If I can do that two months out of the year, I'm golden. Um, you know, and, you know, with now having grandkids, I actually want them to see something else besides the concrete jungle that is Los Angeles. Absolutely. So. Um, Come on now. All right. <laughs> Um, Dave, what you don't know about Rebecca is she's one hell of a salsa dancer. <laughs> yep. The last time Rebecca and I saw each other, uh, it was in Los Angeles. She was, I'm guessing you were at least eight months pregnant with one of your kids. I don't remember which one. And I was sitting in the, uh, in a uh, club on Hollywood Boulevard in LA. I think it was Hollywood. It was either Hollywood or Sunset. And in walks Rebecca. And I'm sitting there having a beer with my buddy. I had a pulled hamstrings. I couldn't even walk. And she just danced. I mean, she danced for hours. <laughs> non stop. I mean, you know, you, you know, pe- couples would get off the floor and go sit out. Not Rebecca. She was still there. <laughs> and and every man in that place knew who she was and the fact that she liked to dance. Because when one got tired, she just said, next. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That was so fun. I wish I, wish I still had that stamina. <laughs> <laughs> well, being a, being a mother of two kids, you probably still have a little bit of that stamina left. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting it back. I'm getting it back. <laughs> uh, okay, well, when, when, uh, when things open up again, I'm sure you will hit the floor. Absolutely. So, um, I wanted to thank you for doing this. I know this has been somewhat challenging down there in the jungles of Costa Rica while Dave and I toil away up here in the, in the concrete jungle. But uh, we really appreciate you doing this for us. Thanks for sharing stories, travel stories, and wish you all the best with the show. And so honored to be on it. And hey, let's see where the future where the future takes us. But for sure, you coming down to visit and show you around. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm fortunate that I have a girlfriend whose first language is Spanish, so we'll fit right in. There you go. <laughs> Your personal translator. There you go. Uh, yeah, so. my, my second language is Spanglish. There you go. You're from Barbados? <laughs> I am from Barbados. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So, Rebecca, again, thank you for doing this. Yeah, Michael, what do you think about Rebecca's insatiable desire to focus on bilingual education in her native country. Uh, she founded a bilingual school there and she seems to be, she's really excited about that initiative. You know, I, I've always thought bilingual education was a good idea. I mean, you're, you, you know, your co-host, me, uh, you know, I spent three years in Spain as a child and I learned Spanish on the streets of Madrid. Um, I remember going to my first grade class and all the English students had to take Spanish at the end of the day. That was our last hour. But because I'd been in country for a year before uh, I went to first grade, I pretty much knew the Spanish language, at least what a six-year-old could learn. And I was fluent. I could make my way around Madrid on my own without a lot of help from my parents. Um, so her focus, Rebecca's focus on bilingual education is so important, especially today. I mean, you know, you live in the... the greater New York area. I live in Las Vegas, but I will, will be returning to Los Angeles. If you don't speak more than one language in a lot of places, you're lost today. 
You said that you studied Spanish on the streets. You know what we say. Um, you know, you must have learned all the bad things first. Uh, I did. <laughs> um, it, it, it's funny you should say that. We've been watching a uh, show. I believe it used to air on USA Today, but with the reruns are on Netflix. It's called um, Queen of the South. And um, they use a lot of dirty language, so to speak, uh, mm -hmm. in Spanish. And of course, my ears perked up to that for the first time. So yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but, but, you know, people have a tendency to talk to a six-year-old different than they do to an adult. So no, you know, in fairness, I didn't learn all the bad language on the streets of, of Madrid. I picked it up from my dad's mouth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the people of Spain had enough sense not to say stuff like that to me, but my dad didn't care. But, uh, but you know, the, the bilingual education element that you so alluded to, I mean, it, it's more than just the education. I know Rebecca's taking her kids and she's giving them that immersive experience, which I think is the best way to go. There's only so much you can learn in a book. There's only so much uh, you can learn from studying a language, you know, uh, and, and actually not hearing people speak the language. Uh, I remember when we returned from Spain for the first two or three years, um, I couldn't find anybody to speak Spanish with because we were living in Northern Maine up by the Canadian border, I eventually lost my ability to speak Spanish. And then I had to go back in high school and in college and relearn the language that I spoke as a, a as a second language growing up. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I, I'm all for that immersive education. I hope she keeps doing it. I know my girlfriend's brother, you know, Spanish is his first language uh, and he's studying French right now. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting. Uh, her day-to-day -day life there is very simple. She doesn't miss the hustle and bustle of LA. Interesting that because uh, there are no tourists there at the moment, the locals are really enjoying going to the beaches more often and just having a fun, uh, a, a fun family day. You, you'll get a kick out of this. When I did the pre-interview with her, uh, she was actually cooking. And the butane uh, gas thing that lights her stove ran out of gas. And, you know, she's <laughs> hollering to her sister who's with her in Costa Rica to go get some more butane so she can continue cooking. And I started laughing, you know, and I laughed out loud and I told her I was laughing. I said, I guess you're not used to that after being in L.A. where the gas is just piped into your house naturally. And she cracked up, of course, you know, and <laughs> she caught the nuance of it. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's just you. you I know when I was in Costa Rica, yeah, I was staying in a big resort and all that stuff like that. But I, I went out, we went out every day for a week. And when you see the simple lifestyle, there was a certain part of me that was envious of that. Yeah. And it's encouraging that she's enjoying the environment eh? as animals are now encroaching in areas that they, they hadn't before. She's also enjoying the flora and the fauna. So, you know, what a different experience from living here in the United States. Oh, and the thing about Costa Rica, it's lush and it is wonderfully green. I mean, Costa Rica, uh, if memory serves me correctly, is only nine degrees north of the equator. So the temperature year round is pretty consistent in the yeah. 80s. You know, they do have their rainy season like most places in uh, that region of the world. But this, the temperature is consistent. And I remember we went on a tour to the Arenal Volcano. And I remember there was this th place called Hanging Bridges or something like that. 
And uh, there's like 20 or 21 uh, bridges that cross over creeks and rivers. Some of them are only two feet above the water. Some of them are 100 feet above the water. And I remember walking around and then about halfway through, I decided, okay, I'm tired of walking. My legs hurt, everything else. So I went back to the base camp to wait for everybody. And the guy didn't want to let me go. He was worried. He was worried about the animals coming out of seeing a lone person walking on the trail by themselves. I got like 15 or 20 feet away from them. And the first thing I see is a giant snake. No. (laughs) (laughs) I I laughed. The snake took off and I kept on moving. And finally, a couple of other stragglers on the on the tour, um, we all walked together for the remainder of the distance. So we'd be in a crowd. But I mean, it is just so beautiful. And it was peaceful, Dave. I mean, I live in a city, you live in a city, you know, you get street noise and you don't expect street noise. It was just great. (laughs) I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to going to Costa Rica (laughs) one day soon. Before we wrap today's show, uh, I want to talk about a new segment we're going to introduce in a couple of weeks called The Lighter Side. Initially, we were going to put The Lighter Side at the end of each episode, and we may still do that. But this one particular episode, we decided to do the whole episode on The Lighter Side. What do we mean by On The Lighter Side? We're looking for travel and tourism stories that make you smile. Uh, make you relax. You know, we've been talking COVID for weeks now on this show, and we're tired of talking about COVID. Travel and tourism is supposed to be fun. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to be bringing a uh, mixologist on from Dave's home country of Barbados to have a little fun with us and teach us how to make a couple of those adult beverages. Um, But the lighter side is more than just that. We're also going to be looking for comedians who can make us laugh a little bit. We're going to have some travel deals embedded within it. We're going to be speaking to maybe some, you know, fashionistas, some athletes, some entertainers, some actors, some musicians, maybe a little music sting at the end, uh, you know, just to lighten the mood a little bit. And some of those on the lighter side segments will be at the end of a particular podcast, or we may do the entire show with an on the lighter side. So we're looking forward to that. We want to introduce that to all of our listeners and to stay tuned for that in a couple of weeks. Subscribe to our podcast. You only have to do this once. You do this once, and every time a new podcast uh, gets published, you're notified. So hit the subscribe button. And don't forget to contact us. Our our email address is contact at tripcast360.com. So we look forward to hearing from you, um, hearing you, sharing your experience, and having a fun time. As you notice, our show is a fun show. We, We make fun of ourselves. And... (laughs) <laughs> Some, sometimes our guests make fun at us, but that's, that's all part of, of, of our plan and it's part of the experience. Yeah, and, and again, uh, the subscribe button for our newsletter is at the bottom of the homepage on our website. We're actually going to make an adjustment to our website so that it pops up on the screen so you can see it immediately without having to search for that. So look for that in a week or so. Um, and Dave's right. Please do send us those stories to contact at tripcast360.com. And also, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We're actually in the process of developing our YouTube channel right now. Um, we've got our promo video out there, but there are going to be other shorter clips that you can share with friends and family and anybody else who's interested. At the end of the day, we have to face it, travel is a visual medium. So we're going to uh, add some really good content on YouTube as well. And uh, with that, I would like to say thanks to my dear friend, Dave Cumberbatch, and thanks for listening to TripCast 360. This is Michael Bennett. Until next time, have a great week. 